Hi, I'm Johnny Pollard, and welcome to the One Giant Mind podcast. In this episode, I talk with Joey, who works with us here at One Giant Mind. He recently took up the daily practice of meditation and is really devoted to his practice. And he brought a very interesting question to the microphone. To what extent do we need to understand the origins of meditation in order to practice it properly and in order to really understand its relevance? And I'm really glad he asked me this question because it's something that I get asked all the time. As someone who practices meditation and the being technique that one giant mind has given me. What is my personal responsibility in educating myself as to where the roots of this technique come from? Hmm. It's a really interesting question you ask. Um, the responsibility only lies, um, in your conscience. If you have a burning desire to know where it came from, then it is your responsibility to satiate that inquiry. Mm. Um, the big picture perspective that I think you might be asking, correct me if I'm wrong, is that, uh, is our practice limited or inhibited in any way if we don't understand where it's come from and the, the historical context of the practice to perhaps understand how it's been delivered now in this modern context and what journey has it gone on in order to be appropriated to a modern sensibility would that be correct i think so i think so okay so the short answer to your question is that your practice won't be uh impeded in any way by not understanding the historical context of it because actually where meditation leads us is into an experience that is timeless in so much as to say it leads us into our hu deepest human nature that is universal and by universal i mean it's unchanging it's an unchanging nature we all inherently have a, a design within our humanity and that design as far as we can tell from all the reports from the many thousands of years uh, that individuals have practiced these techniques, these, um, these practices that awaken uh, the awareness of our human experience. As far as we can tell, what's being described as the foundational experience through the repetition of practicing meditation is the same as it was 10,000 years ago as it is today. It's a fascinating thing to think about, mm -hmm. to consider. Um, the conclusion I draw from this, um, and this is also correlated um, with my experience as a meditation teacher and diving deep into the, the subtlety of human experience, is that we all do actually, in fact, share a, a nature and, um, and that it's always there. And the fact that it's always present, constant, means that it's beyond time. It, it's not affected by time. It, it exists as, as, as something that is constant. And that's a very interesting thing to consider, that despite our own personal growth and evolution, that growth and evolution are like plants that grow out of a garden. The big question is, what's the garden? 
What's the soil in which our humanity is expressed and can grow? I like to think of that, that garden bed as our, our deepest nature, which I describe as a, as a lively, unbounded, creative potential that we experience as awareness of our existence, of our beingness. The simple term to describe it is being. And so whether you practiced this technique learnt by a master in an Eastern country where it found its origins, or whether you learnt on an app in a subway in New York City, as far as I'm concerned, is a secondary point of consideration to the primary, which is what experience did it elicit? And is it having an impact? Is it changing my, my experience whereby I have greater sense of clarity and connection and meaning about who I am, what I am, what my responsibility is right now, and how I can most artfully bring myself into every moment whereby I am supporting and nurturing greater connection, a shared growth experience to relay and uh, nurture our inherent belonging to each other. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Mm. It's, it's beautiful. Nobody owns it. Yeah. That's the truth of it. That's the truth of it. And on the surface level, there is a lot of, um, you know, your technique versus my technique, my lineage versus your lineage. Mm. At the end of the day, when we just go a, a few layers deeper, everybody is attempting in their various ways and by various means to gain access to the one thing that is timeless and universal, which is the thing that we all share. And that is this inherent nature of love. And, you know, we, we don't want to mistake the map for the terrain. And what I mean by that is sometimes we can get so caught up in trying to plan out <laughs> and get caught up in the mechanics of our awakening and forget why it is we're trying to awaken in the first place mm. and, and then get on with, get on with it. Right. And it's the it that we often lose sight of in this conversation. And so, you know, people ask, you know, wow, you've obviously spent a lot of time training under people that really know what they're doing. Um, those people happen to either come from the East or have they themselves have spent a lot of time in the East learning from great masters. Um, how do you feel about the fact that you're not really kind of referencing the, those cultures and those traditions? Um, I, I will always reference them when somebody asks where, the, where, where does this come from? And I think it's, it's, it's no secret where all of this wonderful knowledge has come from, primarily from the East, at least the, the techniques that I'm teaching and, um, the body of knowledge that, that I'm sharing. And it's my experience over the last 20 odd years of completely immersing myself in this whole process that I've come to realize that whilst it is so important to always honor the place and the traditions in which this knowledge comes from, what's extraordinary about it is that it is not dependent on one's indoctrination into a particular lineage for the techniques and processes that they have delivered uh, for them to be effective. So 
I think that it's a very natural, a natural thing when you start practicing something like meditation, when it starts to have a really big impact on your life, to start going, hmm, this meditation thing, it's quite something. Where did it come from? Like, you know, it's a natural part of our mm-hmm. innate curiosity mm-hmm. to know the root. Mm-hmm. You know, everything that we do in the pursuit for greater self-awareness is to move back down the line to the source of things. Because we know that at the source of things, we have the deepest and most holistic understanding. If we only look at things, subject matter, and experiences on the surface level, we know we're only getting the surface layer of an experience. But when we move back down the line of where things are coming from, what's the origin of my, of my pain? Where is it? What is the origin of my love? What's the origin of this beautiful knowledge? You know, certain individuals that lived within a culture that um, happened to occur in a certain territory and a certain continent on planet Earth. And the great masters will always say, you know, there is something special about India. Um, however, this, this, this knowledge is as Indian as uh, E equals MC squared is German mm. or Austrian. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of a preposterous notion, E equals MC squared, is a universal formula. It exists. Yeah, exactly. And so this knowledge and all the knowledge that these great masters were always expounding were universal precepts about the very foundation of our existence, but through an Eastern lens, because they are in the East. (laughs) They're in India. As I or any meditator achieves that point of awareness of being, and is ready to go out into the world, hoping to reshape our societies in ways that put this forward. How much do we have to gain from actually knowing the specifics of where it came from? These people that got this knowledge, did they shape their societies in such ways that, that you could look around and see a prioritization hmm. of these values? Yeah. It depends on what version of history you you look at. Mm. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that there have been very enlightened civilizations um, over the span of human history where there have been times where the experience of being, as you put it, has been coveted and celebrated as a, a um, the height of human experience and also considered as a, a social responsibility mm. to tend to the nervous system to be so sensitive that you're always constantly aware of your interconnectedness with the whole of reality and your responsibility to contribute in some meaningful way that supports and nurtures that. Mm. The question is, you know, can we gain something from looking back in time and understanding the way that they lived? Always, of course. And in doing so, we must do it with... uh, an understanding of our current condition and how we can appropriate that knowledge and that insight that they gained from that time, which were very specific conditions, very, very specific conditions, I would argue quite different to the times we live in now. And through wisdom, extract the insights that they gained and appropriate them to these times. And I think that there's a lot of confusion out there about the, the the nuanced interpretations of ancient texts and scriptures and teachings, because what's generally occurring is they're being literally translated 
from the context in which they were taught at a very specific period in history where people and the social climate and the political climate were very particular. They might have been very different to here. Mm -hmm. And as a result, they're trying to apply a literal interpretation of a teaching that was very applicable to a few thousand years ago to the current time and finding themselves at odds trying to make that work. Of course. And so there is a, a cautionary sort of suggestion when looking back through history to always be aware that there is a responsibility for us to appropriate the knowledge so that it serves the greatest need of our time right now. And what we're, what we're noticing, particularly in traditional religions, is that the dogma of history or the historical interpretations of the text being enforced in modern times is actually causing the very antithesis of what the original teachings were desiring to, to affect. Mm-hmm. When a scripture or a teaching ceases to serve the common good, to elevate humanity, um, then it, it needs to be looked at from a new perspective. What are we missing here? Mm. Because I'm quite confident that most of the texts that were originally written were written by people in very high states of awareness and deeply connected to the reality of their responsibility and wrote what they wrote and shared what they shared with a sense of responsibility, knowing that it was something that would serve the world. And that's why it got so much traction in its, in its impetus. Um, and then, like everything, you know, as things get passed down the line, things get reinterpreted because of a different state of awareness, um, political agendas, economic agendas, all kinds of things that cause a teaching to become misconstrued or manipulated generally for control. What we need to do is learn from that, learn from that part of our history. And when we're diving into any historic interpretation um, of any tradition or practice that is about cultivating our, our humanity right here, right now, is to ask the question, um, is there anything about this that inhibits the, the proliferation of this where it's inclusive of and empowering for everybody. Um, and I think that that would be my only thing that I'd say in terms of its relevance. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, in your response to my first question, one of the points that you impressed upon me was the uh, the necessity of going to the core of an impulse. And so if the impulse is to reshape society in a way that prioritizes being, that impulse the core of it is within my own being. It's not within the the annals of where the practice comes from itself. Yeah. The impulse is mine. Yes. Yes. What you're talking about is direct experience. Right. Yeah. So there might be inspiration to be gathered from that form of research and yes. knowledge, but the the to-do of it is something that is yeah. within me. And, and, it's- and that's what I mean by not mistaking the map for the terrain. The map is the, the teachings. Mm, mm. They're the signposts pointing you to the direction. Right. The direction itself, the movement in that direction is the terrain, is the present moment, being alive, being awake, mm-hmm. and being deeply connected to the experience that you're having. Mm-hmm. You can reference the map all you like, mm-hmm. but there is an underlying theme in all of the good maps, 
And a, 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 there's a, a, a gentle kind of encouragement, which is as quick as you can. Yeah. Get confident at letting go of the map. <laughs> right. Let go of the teaching. Just be human. Just trust yourself. Yeah, the creative intelligence. Yeah, it's all in you. It's all in you. That's what all great masters will say. It's all in you. It's all in you. Mm -hmm. As soon as you can, let go of the crutch of all of it mm -hmm. and just be. But, you know, we really do need um, these, these uh, maps and teachers and tools and instruments and technology like meditation to lead us into that place so we can get deeper into the jungle of ourself. Mm -hmm. Mm. Right. It's a support system unto itself. Yes, exactly. That's all, all systems are there as the infrastructure for our learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But once we become learned, then we relinquish in the same way that a classical pianist will spend months and months, years on end, doing scales. And then eventually the teacher say, right, you're ready. Let go. Right. Now just play. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and it all just comes out because they've established the framework. That's so exciting. So exciting to be able to relinquish the map. We just don't want to do it prematurely. No. Mm. All right. Well, Johnny, I really appreciate you having me as a guest on the show today. I can't wait to get back out there. Thank you very much. Thank you, Johnny. I think it's very important that we always investigate the origins of anything ancient that we use in a modern format. However, that should never supersede the priority of us defining why it is that we do it. Quite often we can get caught up in the historical context of these ancient practices and really miss the point of why it is that we need it in these modern times. The beautiful thing about these ancient techniques is that they speak for themselves. A big thank you to the whole One Giant Mind team. Our show producers Trevor Exeter and Sean Tomlin, original music composition by Ali. And of course, Andrea Stern for providing her beautiful studio space for this podcast. If you're interested in learning meditation, you can download the free One Giant Mind mobile app on iTunes or Google Play. And if you're a passionate meditator and feel inspired to share meditation with the world by teaching it, you can apply to the One Giant Mind Teacher Training Academy. You can learn more by going to onegiantmind.com. That's the number one, giantmind.com. Looking forward to seeing you in the next episode.